The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com events where you can get your tickets. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Friday Catch-Up from Inside Politics, the politics podcast of the Irish Times. I'm Pat Leahy, sitting in this week for Hugh Linehan, whose off, 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 off-Broadway run in a two-man show with Fintan O'Toole is continuing to attract rave reviews, not least from himself. He'll be back next week. Well, faith and be Jesus, lads, but by the crook of St. Patrick's curly stick, there was only one story around this week. The visit of US President Joe Biden, who flew into Belfast on Tuesday evening and came south on Wednesday, has transfixed the media agenda and, I think it's fair to say, the wider country in a way that few events do. There's a sense that the entire country is watching on, while Biden himself is clearly enjoying every minute of the trip. There was an atmosphere of almost giddy celebration at many of the events, especially at Leinster House yesterday, where Biden was almost mobbed by TDs and senators and various other dignitaries. But are we just falling over ourselves because we are blinded by the dazzle of Biden's political celebrity? Or is there something real and genuine and tangible and maybe worthy of celebration here? To discuss the week's events and what they mean, I'm joined by our Washington correspondent, Martin Wall, and by our public affairs editor and former Washington correspondent, Simon Carswell. Gentlemen, thanks for joining. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Pat. Martin, let me turn to you first. What of your impressions of the week so far been? I mean, is there more beyond this air of celebration and Biden smiling at everybody he meets? Yeah, well, to start off by saying the White House is absolutely delighted with what's happening. Um, oh, Jesus, the, the, message, the message from the White House uh, this week was that the president was, as they said, having the time of his life. So he was loving it. He was uh, enjoying every single moment of it. But that doesn't mean that it's, we are looking at it, I think, in Ireland uh, from the perspective, obviously, of Ireland. It's the biggest story in the country at the moment. Uh, it is not by any means the biggest story in the United States. And yeah, well, you, you have a special perspective there because just to explain to the listeners, you're travelling as part of the White House press corps. So you're seeing it very much from the American perspective, right? Yeah, the, the, the American press corps operate in exactly the same way at a, at a greater scale. 
as the Irish press corps do when they follow Leo Varadkar or Michal Martin or whatever else abroad. The the story of the day in Ireland follows Michal Martin or Leo Varadkar abroad with them and he's asked about that. And the same with Joe Biden. The story of the day in the United States has followed him across the Atlantic and he and his officials are being asked every single day, every single press conference they, they ask. It's not about Ireland. Ireland is not the first question. The biggest story in America this week is about a potentially really damaging leak of documents from the Pentagon that about the war in Ukraine and and implications for United States allies with with the UK, with South Korea, with Israel. And that's the biggest story. And the president has asked that and his White House officials are asked that every single day. First up, that is the biggest story in America. And followed on then by issues like abortion, which is the which which is still mm-hmm. rumbling on in the United States. Beside that, there is a the the White House are, as I say, thrilled with the, the level of coverage. And we have to go back in terms of um three weeks ago in the White House. Leo Varadkar was there for St. Patrick's Day and he promised Joe Biden the visit like no other and promised him big crowds. At the time, you know, people looked at it and said, God, what is he, you know, is he committing to things that he can't deliver? He certainly has, well, it has been delivered. Whoever did the delivering, we can argue Mm -hmm. about, but it has been delivered. The crowds have come out uh, even the weather didn't uh, deter the, the enthusiasm of the White House. So they're, they're thrilled with that. But as I say, it is getting extensive coverage in the United States, but it is not getting the level of coverage in the United States as the visit is getting here, obviously. So we yeah, have to put that in that I, I guess I guess that's what you'd expect. And I know myself from following Irish leaders, you know, whether it's Leo Varadkar or Martin in recent years around, that they often get a little miffed when, you know, they are performing on the world stage, but they're asked about events uh, at home. Is there any sense of that with Biden's people or... Well, the backdrop of this is, is that there are tensions and have been tensions for literally since the start of the Biden presidency between the White House press corps and the administration about access. Yeah, tell us about that. He doesn't seem to do press conferences. He answers kind of drive-by questions, but he, he doesn't really do pressers, does he? He doesn't, he doesn't do structured press conferences where, where the media can actually ask him questions. The White House says, well, he does uh, shouted questions. But the, the problem, as the White House see, or the White House correspondents see that is, is that he answers, he shouted questions generally with the backdrop of a helicopter engine in the background sure. or as he's about to get onto a plane, he can answer the questions he wants to answer and the other ones he doesn't want to answer get lost in the back noise of the helicopter engine and they're ignored. So there is no sit-down press conferences. And and interviews that he has done are largely TV interviews every once in a while. Um, he doesn't appear to really want to do press interviews with print. He The, the correspondents, White House, maintain he hasn't done sit-down interviews, for example, with the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal, the really big uh, mainstream US newspapers. And that is, a, that is a source of tension. And that tension uh, built up again this week because he was asked, would he do a press conference in Dublin? He said no. The, the, and he certainly wasn't going to be doing, um, you know, we've all watched the film Love Actually of the fictional president of the United States and the UK prime minister doing a, a double-handed press conference. There was no way that was going to happen with Leo Varadkar this week. So there was mm-hmm. no access to, um, he did a couple of questions in, um, a, at the Oris on, um, on Thursday, but there's no structured press conference. And that tension between the correspondents and the president and the administration will continue, I would imagine. And this week, quite interestingly, uh, it became political because Donald Trump, uh, who will be may or may not be uh, Joe Biden's main rival in in 2024, raised the issue of why is why is Biden not talking to the media in press conferences? 
And in fairness to in fairness to Trump, uh, he was he was fond of uh, of a rolling press conference uh, himself. I mean, they were they were frequently bonkers, but yes. uh, but he, he he wasn't afraid of standing up in front of the media and haranguing them. Not in any stretch of the imagination. And we have to also bear in mind as well that the relationship between the press and the and the administration under Joe Biden is far more cordial than it was under Trump, where Trump was openly scornful of them, insulted people to their face, obviously coined the phrase fake news in relation to the, the what they were writing, what they were doing. But um, but that doesn't mean that the current administration and the re- relationship with the media, cordial and all as it may be, is you know, they, they believe there are, the correspondents believe there are shortcomings in that. And the issue w- will be is how is the Biden administration going to deal with that as we get closer towards a, um, a presidential election? If he's in the middle of running for a re-election, surely he's going to have to do press conferences at some point. And You would have thought so. But the, the view you would imagine, the White House view is, is that they want to do media, but on their own terms and obviously rolling, you know, uh, round the houses, press conferences, are leave the door open to gaffes, which the president, uh, by everyone acknowledges, is prone to actually make. And we've seen that this week. He's pretty good at it, yeah. Yeah. Um, Simon, you've been covering the visit, obviously from the Irish perspective, but clearly you have a familiarity with how the presidency works and the president's relationship with the media works. Um, Are these visits always like that? Do they always go like this? Or is there a sort of a as it seems to me there is, a sort of a special Biden flavour to this. I mean, he is probably the most Irish-American president ever, is he? I would say he is, yeah. He um, certainly rivals JFK on that. Um, But I think this is unique. It is a unique visit. It's very unusual to have this mix of the personal and the political that we've seen over the last few days, both... Uh, in in the Republic and in Northern Ireland. And balance is kind of the word I would use. They seem to have struck a really good balance over the last few days. The balancing act that was required in Belfast with that speech at Ulster University was very clear. It was very obvious. You know, he had to be exceptionally careful not to antagonise unionists and unionism. He had to encourage them to restore power sharing, which they're not doing because of their objections to the post-Brexit trading arrangements. And this was a very carefully scripted speech that got the balance right, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, things like he said, he's saying, you know, well, I want to see power sharing back, but that's a judgment for you to make. You know, I hope it mm-hmm. happens. He's not saying, I, he's not goading them into doing it or or, or pushing them into doing it. Um, and, but he's doing it in a very clever way. You'd saw Joseph Kennedy, J, uh, RFK's grandson at his shoulder. He's the economic envoy to Northern Ireland. And he was very prominent in Belfast. And what that was kind of saying, and as Biden himself said, he was pointing to the incredible economic opportunities, which is consistent with what Europe has been saying uh, around Brexit. You have an opportunity here to be in the best of both worlds. You have an opportunity to be in the internal UK market and the EU single market. And what Biden is doing, did this week, he said was, look, we have all of this kind of economic goodwill here to back you in this. We've got these US corporations coming in. So it was kind of clever message to bring. It was almost apolitical or above the politics of what was going on. And then you had the balance down here, which is this incredible personal trip um, where he's talking about his roots and really again above politics talking like using words like dignity respect family faith talking about this feels like home it feels like coming home uh the, the home of his ancestors. And that has this tremendous personal mix. But also he blended both the personal and politics really well on Thursday with all of the very busy engagements that he had, be it at the Oris, be it at Farmley with the Taoiseach. And then I thought it was an exceptional address to the houses of the Oireachtas because 
Biden has this kind of freewheeling way of speaking, which kind of can mm-hmm. land badly, but it, it just fit really well there, this kind of folksiness, which kind of, you can kind of cringe at sometimes, but it actually really worked in the Oireachtas and they loved it in there. Uh, that mix of, you know, you could tell that it was so personal. It was such a personal achievement for him coming home, him talking to his his late mother in the heavens, you know, addressing her at the outset. It, it, it was it was a nice touch and it just, I thought it worked really, really well. And normally Biden's speeches just go, oh my gosh, he's rambling now. But the rambling kind of worked in there, the Oireachtas. There, there was a bit of rambling, I thought, and also a bit of almost kind of inaudible rambling. I was, maybe it was a bit clearer on television, I was sitting in the press gallery in the doll and... We were really straining to hear what he was saying at at various parts of the speech, but then in other parts of it, you know, he was he was very animated. And I don't know what I don't know what you thought, Martin, but um, if one of the legitimate questions about Biden, especially if you're you know if he's looking at a run for a second term, is his his age and energy levels and perhaps mental acuity. But geez, he was on the ball yesterday. Uh, I thought he had a very long day and he was quite animated right the way through to what was pretty much a late night speech almost after, uh, at, the, uh, at, at, at the Dublin Castle Banquet. And I think he's going to have that again today. Now, obviously, we're starting in the afternoon, but the the likelihood is that the Balina leg of the um, the speech on Friday will be late into the evening. It's obviously timed uh, for primetime TV in the US uh, t- tonight, but um, that will be, you know, there, 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 is a, there is a lot of that. The other part, I think, Pat, as well, is that we haven't seen what the original script was for the Iraq this yesterday, um, but I imagine there was a fair bit of de- departure from that script. Um, yeah, I, would I, imagine- I was trying to monitor that because sitting in, just to set the picture for listeners, the, the, the press gallery is... It's kind of a balcony. It's actually in the actual doll chamber and it's a balcony that sits high above the Count Corliss speech. So we were looking down at the back of Biden's head and he had an auto cue in, in, uh, in front of him. But at several points throughout the speech, the auto cue was paused where he was going off script. And on one of those occasions, I'm pretty sure, was the remarks he made uh, about the UK should be working, I think he said, should work, should be working closer with Ireland uh, on, on the North. What yeah, did you think of that? That is exactly uh, my take on that, Pat. Uh, I, my understanding was that that was a, um, an off-the-cuff remark and that wasn't scripted. Um, but again, that fed into the narrative that we're seeing from parts of the UK in relation to that Biden is critical. Of the yes. of the UK, so that fed into that. Um, for certainly for some of the media from the UK who were covering the Biden visit, that gave them their story. That was the story of today. That Biden, you know, whatever verb you want to use, criticizes, hits out, urges, whatever the UK to yeah. work with Ireland. Because if you're saying they should work with Ireland, it would indicate that he believes that they're not doing sufficient at the moment. And of course, that also feeds in the backdrop of this. of of all this was that. Um, the Biden administration was banging heads together or seeking to bang heads together over the last 18 months for the UK and the and the EU to do a deal on the protocol. And mm-hmm. without ever being explicitly saying so, it was obvious that the Biden administration were not altogether happy with uh, Boris Johnson or Liz Truss's idea of going off and introducing their own legislation to override the protocol. They wanted a negotiated deal. And I think that's the the view 
of where that was coming from, the backdrop of what that was said yesterday. Yeah, unhappy, to say they were unhappy is to, 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 to understate it somewhat. Simon, what did you make of this story that's been running all week about Biden's, at least perceived in some quarters of the, the UK media as being anti-British or anti English. Well, I think it's consistent with what has been reported over the years about Biden, that famous comment that he shouted back at a BBC reporter, at a shouted question from a BBC reporter. He said, BBC, I'm Irish. And that's Mm -hmm. always kind of created the perception that Biden leans far closer to Dublin than London. And, And there's an element of truth to that. But looking back at his speech in Belfast, I think he was very careful uh, to, 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 to not kind of um, ruffle any feathers in, on the British side. Um, I mean, you could argue that the gaffe in the Windsor pub in Dundalk the other night where he mistakenly referred to Rob Carney beating the black and tans instead of the all blacks at Soldier Field in 2016 might be a peek into uh, Biden's conscience uh, and his real kind of, uh, you know, his, if you cut him in two, how green he is inside. Yeah. In, fa- but, in fairness, both the black and tans and the all blacks have a long history of tormenting the Irish now. Yeah, I mean, I think the Brexit kind of commentariat over in the UK are, are happy to leap on this, you know, fed by the GB news lines and, and various mm-hmm. other commentators that they've said this. But I, I think the White House is kind of right to ignore it. Amanda Sloat was very quick. The uh, the National Security Council official from the White House was very quick to point out that Biden wasn't anti-British and pointed to the strong connections that they have, uh, the US has with Britain. I mean, the other thing, just go back to the Oireachta speech that jumped mm-hmm. out at me and the personal point about whether Biden is going to run again. I, I, I couldn't believe he said that actually in the Iraqis where he talked about I'm at the end of my career, not the beginning. And he actually even said, as you can, yeah. see, as you can see how old I am, this is that those are not the comments of someone who should be lining up for a re-election bid and about to start off early next year on a very arduous election campaign. It's really te- untested on the campaign because the last campaign was run in the kind of hermetically sealed uh, confines of of that's the, right. He of campaigned the COVID, from his basement basically. of the COVID pandemic. So we've not seen this is an eight year old man. We've not seen how he's going to fare. So it was, those comments kind of struck me. And I was talking to a couple of people I know in the White House press pool who have traveled over from the US and it struck them too that he would say this that may have been off script because he was wanting to share a little bit of wisdom as he said in the Oireachtas with uh, the TDs and senators and the gathered dignitaries about uh, sharing kind of pearls of wisdom with them so I, I don't know whether he would have been saying that if that was in the script but I think it does point to this whole kind of folksy thing that he has he's come uh-huh. back to Ireland and wants to share uh, his wisdom as a seasoned politician with his uh, his Irish brethren um, and I, I don't know if he would have said that if, if, if he was thinking through and thinking politically on that Yeah I mean we're going a little off script ourselves now but what's your assessment of that Martin? I mean do you think he will run again? All of the indications up to now were that he was going to announce at the end of April, yeah. beginning of May. That, that, was, that was my understanding. That was if the, he's not going was, to, he'd probably want to tell people fairly quickly, wouldn't he? Well, if he's not running, it will open, it will cause problems in the Democratic Party about who will run, who will they get in. Uh, there is a view, polls would suggest that Kamala Harris is not would not have the the support to do that. Would it open the door for one of the, the, the Democratic governors around the country to run? Uh, so be, be, that was an issue. The other piece that jumped out at me along along those lines, as, as you were saying, as Simon was saying there, was his line about saying, you know, I'd, I I wish I could stay here. You know, um, that's an opening line for Republicans to say, well, if you want to stay here, well, you know, do. You know, you you <laughs> may recall that back in the day when Tip O'Neill was the uh, under was the Speaker of the House under Ronald Reagan, the apocryphal story was Tip O'Neill said to Reagan that 
that uh, I'd like when I retire to, um, to uh, be ambassador to Ireland. And Reagan apparently replied, well, do you want to go now? So, the, <laughs> you know, to, leaving those lines uh, to say, you know, the, the issue of I'm, I'm very old, I'm at the end of my career or I want to stay in Ireland would appear to create uh, food for um, attack ads for Republicans in an, in an election campaign. So they may have just been off-the-cuff comments, but you can be certain that uh, somebody on the Republican side of the House in Washington is taking note and they will be, they'll be uh, written down and used in, used in evidence against them, as they say, it's in the future. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Simon, the, we used to always, I mean, obviously, visit of a U.S. president is not something that we're entirely unused to uh, in, in, in this country. But the, the kind of conventional, albeit slightly cynical wisdom, used to be that this was as much about shoring up the Irish-American vote in, uh, in the U.S. as it was about engaging, you know, with Ireland in any real and, uh, and, and meaningful sense. But there's, there's kind of a sense around that, that Biden is the last in a line of these great... Irish-American politicians who are so defined by their Irishness. Martin mentioned Tip O'Neill there, but I suppose you could count a couple of Kennedys in it. Uh, I, I mean, sure, what you make of, kind of Barack Obama's Irishness, but he certainly took to it when he was here uh, anyway. But there is kind of a sense that, that, he's, that he's the last in, in, in a line. Are, are we overstating that, I suppose, because... You know, certainly the strength of the Irish-American relationship, as evidenced recent weeks, seems to be immensely strong. And the strength of the strength of the Irish lobby or the lobby on behalf of Ireland in Washington is still immensely strong. Well, I think it's overstated to say that he's the kind of last Irish-American, great Irish-American politician that we're going to see. I think people like Joseph Kennedy, who's a young man, would challenge that view. Now, I know he failed in his attempt to win a seat in the US Senate. He, he failed to unseat Ed Markey in Massachusetts. But he does have political ambitions, clearly, as, as, as economic envoy to Northern Ireland. Brendan Boyle, a son of a Donegal father and a Sligo mother, would, a Sligo family, would challenge that view. I mean, he's an up-and-coming Democrat and one to watch on Capitol Hill. And certainly highly politically ambitious, comes from good kind of uh, blue-collar roots and a swing state in Pennsylvania. So he's one to watch. So I, I think I heard that mentioned this week and I was kind of 
kind of shrugging my shoulders at that kind of wonder. No, yeah. I don't think that's the case. But like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure about it either, to be honest, because it, it seems to me that, you know, the, as I was saying in my rambling introduction, uh, th- that, the, uh, that the Irish lobby is, a, is a strong, are, are indeed stronger than ever. Well, I think, it's, I think there's a view here in Ireland that there's a very strong Irish vote, and I don't think it's anything like it once was, if it was there at all. Uh, I think there's a very strong Catholic vote in America, mm-hmm. and that's far more important. And I think the imagery from today, uh, Friday, uh, over in Mayo, of Biden visiting the Knox Shrine, of Biden making the, the set-piece speech of his visit, public address to in the Republic, uh, in front of uh, St Murdoch's um, uh, Cathedral in Ballina, will send a very strong message. And clearly, the White House is is preparing that. The choreography around that is exceptional. I think you're going to see some really powerful images out of that that'll play very well with the Catholic vote. Uh, and there's certainly a very strong middle class, white middle class vote that. Uh, Biden will be trying to tap into. Trump did exceptionally well in 2016 in that constituency mm-hmm. and that's definitely on on the, the minds of Biden and his political advisors. So I think that's something that's definitely one to watch for out of this trip and how that's going to be played up when Biden goes back. And Pat, there's an issue in relation to the Catholic vote at the moment. Um, the the Catholic vote, depending on which poll you, uh, you, you read, went, was either 47 or 49% for Donald Trump. So mm-hmm. the Catholic vote was, was has moved right, and the idea of the Irish voting as a block for Democrats is gone. Is uh, you yes. know that that's gone, but the issue at the moment is there is a a rumbling story that's that the Republicans are trying to build on, that which incredible as it seems for a, a presidency or an administration run by Joe Biden, is that it's anti-Catholic. There is an issue in relation to it, it feeds back into abortion uh, mm-hmm. allegations of the FBI having undercover operatives and agents and informants within parishes to try uh, feedback information on uh, anti-abortion extremists or extreme groups, as they would say, and that's a narrative that the that the uh, opponents of Joe Biden are trying to peddle. For, in relation to that, the Biden administration is anti-Catholic. So I think the issue and the images that come out of Knock today will feed into the counter-narrative for that, that uh, in relation to, the, uh, to, to counter those charges that are being made. I mean, I would have thought looking in from the outside, though, that a vote for, for voters who take their Catholicism sufficiently seriously for it to decisively influence their vote, uh, are they not... Are they not voting Republican on the issue of abortion anyway? Yes. Well, there, there was, there's obviously in some cases there's a historical, you know, people vote on the basis of, the, of history. Other people vote on the basis of the issues of the day. But the issue in relation to uh, abortion has been an, uh, one of the issues that has uh, uh, moved the many Irish, traditional Irish Catholics who in the past would have voted for or the Democrat, um, moved them into the Republican camp. And that mm-hmm. was happening long before Donald Trump. You know, that was, you know, the so-called Reagan Democrats during the Reagan years of working class. Uh, and in many ways, what Biden did was he swung some of the working class, the white working class vote that had went, went to Trump in 2016. He, he pushed it back into the Democrat camp for 2020. So the issue of the, the Catholic vote uh, with the issue of abortion looming in the background is it will be a big battleground in 2024 between the two parties. And as I think the imagery out of knock with uh, Joe Biden uh, going to the cathedral, praying in the cathedral, uh, and juxtapose that with the charges from his political opponents that he's leading an anti-Catholic administration, that would be a battleground issue for uh, for 2024. One of, the, one of many, obviously, but that would be one of them. Thanks, Martin. Um, we've 
we've got to let you go. I think you've got to catch a bus to Ballina with the rest of the White House press corps. So we'll say thank you very much. We wish you bon voyage and uh, and a safe flight uh, back to Washington. Simon, um, final question for you. The One of the themes, seems to me, that was very prominent over the last couple of days was uh, was the war in Ukraine. But, but beyond that, this sort of what leaders on either side kept referring to as, you know, the shared liberal Western democratic values of Ireland and the US. And Biden in his speech in the Dáil made specific reference to, uh, he quoted Kennedy, in fact, of Ireland, you know, having an independent foreign policy, but not being neutral between democracy, a freedom and, uh, and, and, and tyranny. Uh, that was very well received by government TDs. By everybody, really. I think it was, and it's consistent with our own foreign policy where we can maintain our neutral stance, but also support uh, support kind of Western countries and democracies uh, against in the face of, a, of Russian aggression in Ukraine. So it fit very well. I actually was struck by one quote, not from Biden this week, but by Liv Radker, who spoke just before he met uh, the president at Farm Lee on Thursday and talked about, you know, democracy and liberty and the things we believe in are in retreat in large parts of the world. And he made a kind of, it was almost a slightly personal point as well. He said, if it wasn't for American leadership, if it wasn't for America and Europe working together, I don't know what kind of world we would live in. And I thought that was a kind of, thank God you're here. Thank God we have the Mm -hmm. U.S., Um, And then the comments that Joe Biden made of having shared values, that again goes back to this kind of more universal themes that they were keen, that Biden was keen to talk about on his trip here, you know, dignity, shared values, respect for others, Um, a kind of transcended politics to a degree. And I thought it kind of struck a good note and it was very consistent on both sides in terms of the comments that were being made. And absolutely, you're right, it did play very, very well in the Oireachtas. And of course, with the Ukrainian ambassadors, one of just four ambassadors who were invited to to listen and to uh, attend the the president's address to the House of the Oireachtas. So, Messages that landed very, very well, very consistent. And I think both sides could probably come away from Thursday's events, the politi- very political events that took place going, right, we're definitely on the same page here. And it sounds good. It sounds good. The shared values, the strong Irish-US uh, connection and based on the same principles. I remember when Barack Obama visited in 2011 and it was in the immediate wake of the uh, economic collapse the bailout, Ireland was in the programme, IMF, EUIMF programme at the time. And it was a period of not just kind of, you know, material disadvantage for the country, but a time of really low national morale. And the Obama visit, I, I sort of felt gave everybody, gave everybody a real lift uh, at that stage. And his particular brand of, of of optimism and uh, and that was 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 key to that. What do you think the legacy of this visit will be, or will there be one at all? I think the legacy of it will be that we have very strong ties, and they're kind of reaffirmed by this visit. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you you mentioned that about Barack Obama's speech in Dublin in 2011 and his visit here. I was speaking to Cody Keenan, who was a chief speechwriter. He was on a visit here with a book uh, promoting a book uh, last month. And he said that Samantha Power came back from Ireland. Samantha Power was an advisor to President Obama at the time. And she came back 
from Ireland. She's a regular visitor here, having been born here. She comes. She came back and she said, she said to the president, Ireland is really down at the moment, and said to Cody Keenan, you know, Ireland needs to be to be to be perked up, needs a boost here, and so that speech that was given in College Green by Barack Obama was very much about, you know trying to encourage the Irish again. You know, you've had a tough time, I know. It's been a dark few years, but, you know... Yeah, there's a good bit of, yes, we can, is Faderlin, that sort of thing. Absolutely, and it played really well. And I think what will come out of this visit is, and I've kind of got, you know, kind of personal views on this having worked in the US, there's kind of this easy-to-be-cynical kind of autocynicism about Irish-America. You know, we kind of roll our eyes at the kind of folksy, schmaltzy talk, you know, of the old sod and the malarkey and all that. But the thing is, it's what's what's real about it. And I think what will be one of the big takeaways from Biden's visit here is that it's heartfelt and it's real and it's meaningful and it matters. Mm-hmm. And I also think that what it shows is, and it's very hard to measure this, but it it's it's it shows our soft power in the world. It shows um, that all of these family bonds are critical to building strong connections politically and we should take advantage of this. And, you know, Irish, the Irish in America are exceptional about at leveraging that, at leveraging those really close ties. And the other thing I'd say is having lived in the States um, and having raised two daughters for four years in the States, we kind of need to kind of drop the cynicism sometimes because it's important that that, ha- that has a place. You know, there are people who left Ireland in the 50s who have a particular view of what Ireland is. It's not a modern Ireland. There are people who left Ireland in the 80s and 90s for, and they're economic migrants largely and they have a view of what Ireland is and it may not tally with what with the country we have now, the kind of socially progressive country that we have now that's kind of sh- shed a lot of the ties with the church, for example. But some of Irish America may associate Ireland with being with that. And there's a place for it. Irish America is not Ireland. It's very, very different. And I think what people will take from this visit by President Biden is is that, you know, those connections, those bonds, those ties, those family connections are to be celebrated. Our soft power is to be celebrated. Our soft power is is to be embraced and used in a way that, you know, yeah, we we do punch above our weight, that old cliche on the world stage. And the reason we do is, is that... Joe Biden's grandfather's grandfather came from Louth and Mm -hmm. another relative came from Mayo. And you know what? That really matters to him. And it matters then when a multinational boss looks at Ireland. Is it an open, internationally outward-looking country? Yes, it is. Because look, here's the US president taking an exceptional four-day trip, which is highly unusual in any kind of presidential diary or calendar. And I think we'll come away from this trip going, this is great. Um, you know, some things I don't quite like what he said. It made me cringe a little. But you know what? That's not that's no harm, really, because I think in the in in broader terms, it's going to be very beneficial to the country, be it economically, politically or diplomatically if in, in world affairs, if, if Ireland finds itself in, in difficulty. And he's proven that it has his support for Ireland through all the, the Brexit ructions in the last few years has shown the value of that connection and how well we can use it politically and play up those personal and family connections. Well, on that upbeat note, let us note in passing that we strive in the Irish Times and and the Inside Politics podcast not to be cynical, but to be properly sceptical. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate the difference. Simon, uh, thanks very much for your time today. Uh, We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks Thanks to Declan Conlon, our producer and to JJ Vernon on sand Mr Linehan will be back uh, next week and we talk to you all then bye bye Have 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 